0: You know, the experiences I had and the people that I met, I think, just solidified for me. I want to have as many options always open to me as possible. And the one way to get there, and and I would say this now, and I didn't appreciate it then, but I think I had a gut feeling about it, was education. That opens doors. It opens doors that are sometimes incredibly hard or maybe even impossible in some ways. Uh, to open without that. And I don't just mean a degree. I sure. mean, it's the thought process, the skills that you learn, yeah. the ways to see things from different perspectives, the different people that you meet in your classes and that teach classes that maybe you agree with and don't agree with, but it, it helps you grow. Welcome to Health and Human Science Matters, a podcast by Colorado State University's College of Health and Human Sciences. I'm your co-host and digital media strategist, Avery Martin.
1: And I'm Matt Hickey, Associate Dean for Research and Graduate Studies. In our college, we make it our mission to optimize human health and well being through discovery and innovation. But don't just take our word for it. Each episode, we sit down with people who fulfill that mission our college faculty and staff. And today, we're really excited to have the Dean of the College of Health and Human Sciences, Lisa Youngblade, with us. Lisa, welcome.
0: Thank you. I'm so happy to be here today.
1: We are really glad to have you. We're looking forward to our conversation today.
0: Me too.
1: You know, one of our missions in this podcast is to get to know people as more than scholars, more than academics. Who are you? What, what's the pathway that brought you here? And so I want to start with that very journey. If you can tell us a little about you and your family and maybe some significant early memories you'd like to share with us, that would be really wonderful.
0: Yeah. Oh, gosh. Well, that's a daunting task. So I'll maybe start with the end and then go back to the beginning. So, uh, so happy to be here at CSU as dean. I've been here for 15 years. Hard to believe it's that long. It's gone fast, but came to CSU in 2006 as um, department head of human development and family studies had the opportunity to serve in a couple of associate dean roles uh, as uh, associate dean for research and graduate programs, Matt, your role, Mm -hmm. Uh, and then also as associate dean for strategic initiatives um, right before I became dean. So I've had uh, just this really great opportunity to get to know CSU, to get to know our faculty and staff in the college, our programs, and just could not be more excited about how I had the great fortune to land here at CSU and the even better fortune to uh, be in a leadership position of in this wonderful college. Um, you know, I, I, you yes, like, how did I get here? And I think back to when I was a kid, this was I, I wouldn't have known this would have been my job uh, or even a career path or anything of interest. I was born in the 60s in Brooklyn, New York to two parents who never went to college. Um, so I think, you know, the earliest conversations I can remember were very practical jobs, like being a stewardess in the 60s. That was a, a very glamorous occupation. Um, certainly thinking about having a family and, and being a wife and mother, maybe being a teacher, but, uh, may, and maybe being a nurse. My mom was a, a public health nurse and um, didn't really think much about college, though, or, or what this would look like. And my parents died um, when I was—my dad died when I was 10— my mom and I was 13, we moved across the country to Portland, Oregon. Uh, moved in with an aunt and uncle, both of whom were PhDs, both of whom uh, had had been first gen themselves, but worked their way through school. My uncle was a professor of economics and just had a very different vision of what life could look like. So you ask, or you, probably you, you will ask, or are thinking about like important people in your, in your lives. And I think for me, just having the access And, uh, you know, all the family stuff, um, of course, important, but just the access to understanding what education could be. That was a a pivotal thing that I think about all the time. I miss my parents desperately, but I would never have had the opportunity to think about college or graduate school or being a professor or doing research, any of those things, without the opportunity that my aunt and uncle gave to me. So very grateful for that.
1: That's really something, you know, in these hinge moments in our lives. You, you don't see them coming. You don't plan for them. Mm-hmm. It's, and in your case, you know, to, to emerge from terrible tragedy and loss like that and have a an enduring influence that you can talk about years later, that's really quite something. I, I wonder if you can share some some sort of extracurricular interests with us as well. What, mm-hmm. what sort of, you know, gets your heart beating outside the academy, things that you're interested in, passionate about?
0: Yeah, so, you know, I think – Three things maybe I'll, I'll highlight. And uh, anybody that's read any of my emails or things that I share uh, across the college, probably none of these are a surprise. Uh, I love to read. Books are amazing. Uh, I love all, all types of books. I love biographies. I love fiction. I love, you know, that are sentinel in our discipline so reading is really important to me and I try and find at least a little bit of time sometimes it's a page before I fall asleep Mm -hmm. but really dedicated to thinking about reading as being an important uh, thing each day Um, I love the outdoors I cannot again good fortune to live in an unbelievable place like Colorado so really try and take advantage of it again every day being spending time outside going for a walk um, the weekends love to be up in the mountains when we can and uh, so on. So that just sort of outside, just avocation, whatever that looks like, sometimes it's just sitting and being hear, in this hear. gorgeous hear, hear. space, right? <laughs> and then the third thing is music. I love music. Again, all kinds of music. Some I love more than others, but I love listening to other people. I love playing instruments. I love um, singing Other people maybe don't love that as much. Um, Kids definitely (laughs) ridicule that all the time. But um, music is a great thing. It's it's a it's a mood changer. It's a mood lifter. Um, It it's profound um, and it's just so creative. So uh, music, outside, and reading, and I guess the fourth one I will add a fourth one. Love cooking too. So fantastic, guys. That's mm-hmm.
1: great. Thanks for sharing. So, so, once you started this journey into college, even as an undergraduate, again, I'm, I'm interested in, in moments and mentors that, that mm-hmm. really were formative for you as you think about your your pathway.
0: Yeah. So, again, um, interesting. So, in high school, probably like most kids, you're thinking about what your next steps are after graduation. And in my family, with my aunt and uncle, it was expected that you go to college. It wasn't really a conversation, but. They were sure that myself, my brother, and my three cousins, like this was your next step and less important about where you were going and what you were going to study, but that you were going to further your education. So that for me was like um, there wasn't a question about that. And I grew up in Oregon and um, the two like main colleges are University of Oregon and Oregon State. I had no idea what land grants were. Oregon State's the land grant. University of Oregon, it was the Ducks. Uh, my aunt had got her PhD there, so that was kind of the family school. And so I went to college, not really knowing what college would lead to. I was thinking teaching as a you know, secondary uh social studies history teacher because i loved those subjects in high school and so kind of pursued that pathway and took a lot of history classes and what i loved about histories was stories and so the part that was captivating that is like you cannot think about history without a story of something Hmm. um, that leads to another story of something that leads to another story of something so the part about that that really captured me was the story part and then I had to take a psychology class because it was in the degree plan and, you know, as one of the required electives. And so I walked into this class that Dr. Beverly Fagot was teaching. She was a developmental psychologist. Her area of research was infants and toddlers and, and how they learn about gender and gender socialization. But I walked in. Within 10 minutes, I had changed my major because she was a storyteller. She oh. and I realized like the part about what I loved what was doing was stories, but they were sociological stories. They were big stories. And what I found most fascinating were individual stories. And that's what psychology was. And mostly about children and how children then get set on one journey or another journey, where they have opportunity to create their own journey, where they don't, and what all how all those things coincide. So in that one 10-minute moment. I fell in, love, fell in love with developmental psychology and then that set me on the rest of, of a career path of trying to understand that big picture.
1: It's so interesting to me because I so often hear this, this same vignette in, in varied forms. You know, when I see students who I had in class 20 years ago and they, they share memories, it's never content. It's mm-hmm. always a story that, that was told in class in some way, shape, or form. It, the the influence is powerful isn't it It, it's because it transcends the discipline in some ways right it it roots it in things that are sort of outside textbooks and powerpoint slides and Mm -hmm. and all Mm -hmm. these things it's great so so was there a moment when the i I think i can do this phd thing sort of emerged and
0: um yeah although i'd say that was a harder like i can't say that was a moment i'd say it was more as a process Mm -hmm. right so switched my major um Right. You know, another important, I guess, milestone for me was um, right before I had I took that class, I took a gap year. So right after my sophomore year, you know, loved history, but I wasn't I just wasn't sure. And I thought I just want to go work. So moved to Alaska, um, did a lot of different things worked in canneries, worked on a fishing boat, number of different things, and at the end decided I really need an education for a job <laughs> that I wanna do that is like just gonna be, um, to me, more meaningful. And so, went back, that's when I took the class. And then in the context of taking that class, I went in to talk to her, and I think students do this too, right? You gravitate towards a professor that gets your attention and you show up for their office hours and then you show up for their next office hours, all of a sudden you're caught into their research. And she was starting this incredibly interesting big research project. It was a very big NIH grant. I didn't know anything about NIH grants, but she was hiring students to go out and do observations in homes and uh, work in the research lab. And so I had this opportunity because I knew her. She asked if I was interested in the in the job and I had a work study position. She's like, you can do it work study, but then I will pay you on top of it and for more hours. And so all these things, coincided and started thinking about, well, what could research look like? What could a job doing what she's doing look like? So that started the idea of graduate school. So I guess up till that point thought I would get graduate with a psychology degree. I would find something interesting to do with it. but I hadn't thought about a master's or a PhD. Um, and it was the process of being engaged with the research process, uh, seeing families, coding data, thinking about Uh, questions and she was great because she involved undergraduates and graduates as well in this process Um, because the graduate students in her lab hung out with graduate students in other labs the undergraduates got to know them socially a little bit but then find out what other work was and it was all like amazing it just like blew my mind how interesting the work was and so then that made me think oh well okay maybe I could do this and of course, I have an uncle who's, you know, a professor. And as I would be talking to him, he'd be like, "I don't know why you're not going to get your PhD. You should get your PhD." Oh and so, like, there was a lot of support uh, for it um, from multiple angles. But it, it still took a little while to like think, okay, so it's a, it's a big endeavor and an unknown. And um, which program do you pick? And who do you work with? And yeah. like, how do you decide? So like, it was a process, but. Um, ultimately led me to Penn State. So I had the good fortune to be accepted there. And you think back about things that like nobody mentors you on. I remember on the application for Penn State, there was a question that said, do you need funding to be able to attend grad school? And I was like, oh no, I can work my way through it because I worked my way (laughs) through undergraduate. So I marked no. And like somebody who was like looking over my application said, are you insane?
1: Like, <laughs>
0: yes, you need funding. You're going to be doing your work. You like you need support here. Sure. And I think about that all the time, Like just as what a responsibility we have to our students to support them yeah. in mentoring, but also in really ensuring that we give them the resources to uh, be able to complete what what they're doing. They're working hard at their studies. We should help them be able to do that.
1: That's so yeah. well said. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to interrupt because I have a couple of follow-up questions about your undergraduate pathway because I really think many listeners will will uh, find this fruitful. So can you talk a little bit about that gap year and, and what it did for you in terms of, you know, maturity and because, you know, so often we get the pressure to to have this sort of linear pathway with no branches, which is totally unrealistic, right, for most of us. And mm-hmm. I'm just uh, wondering if you could share a little bit more about, it. you know, advantages upon reflection of that gap year.
0: Yeah. So the so I'll start with the advantages and say that, like, I didn't take a gap year thinking, like, oh, I'm kind of mature. Long-term and, strategic planning. Yeah, it was, <laughs> there was zero long-term strategic planning. It was, like, I just wasn't 100% sure. I, I was, like, ready to commit to being – in this one pathway with history. And although I loved it, I just could not see the vision. And it was really, it's interesting, because I told you in 10 minutes I saw the vision, like, you know, in that class, that just like lit me on fire. And um, so, so the advantages, I think for me personally, was that it was a bit of a reflection time of what do I really want to do? I so appreciate every single opportunity I had in that gap year to work in some really hard jobs and work with people who that was their career. And they did jobs like this their whole life. And um, and just think, is this like this is what education affords you is the option that this isn't your only pathway mm-hmm. without working in a cannery. Or, you know, I can tell you a million stories about that when maybe a whole nother podcast, but <laughs> those kind, you know, the experiences I had and the people that I met, um, I think just solidified for me, I want to have as many options always open to me as possible. And the one way to get there, and and I would say this now, and I didn't appreciate it then, but I think I had a gut feeling about it, was education. That opens doors. It opens doors that are sometimes incredibly hard or maybe even impossible in some ways. Uh, to open without that and i don't just mean a degree i mean it's the thought process the skills that you learn the ways to see things from different perspectives um, the different people that you meet in your classes and that teach classes that maybe you agree with and don't agree with but it it helps you grow and without that experience i think you start to foreclose potential options
1: that's great So so you come back, and and another Mm -hmm. question I think is really germane to so many of our undergraduates, you know, you you entered into a – an NIH-funded research operation team, if you will. And we understand that not all are going to be NIH-funded. There's a variety of ways in which we pursue our scholarship. But but how did you make that happen? Was your your mentor looking for people? Did you go knock on doors? Well, how did that connection start?
0: Yeah. So I think um, it was both. Like, I had already been on her radar because I loved her class, and I was trying to take every possible class that she taught. Sure. Um, she was just an incredibly interesting person she also really loved music and so like we would have these great conversations that were just beyond like the psychology discipline too she was a fabulous wonderful awesome person so like I just liked spending time with her so I was already on her radar maybe more than she wanted but like I was found <laughs> an opportunity to be able to go see her um and I was a good student I was not you know like I I think I had a reputation as a good student in classes in that department. And um, so when the grant happened, I'd already been a psychology major by then for a year. I'd volunteered time in her lab, taken a number of classes from her. So when she was looking for people, it was just a pretty easy conversation. So she approached me. Did I want to, you know, work more hours? Would I want to be on the grant? Like, I didn't understand what a grant was. All I heard was, do you want to work more hours and get paid? And I was like, okay. (laughs) Um, You know, and it was doing research. So I, I at that point, had no clue what a grant would do, or you know why. I learned about it. I learned about how you get them, how you write them. She made us all read them. I remember that being a daunting thing, cause it was like 300 pages long with all the appendices. And mm-hmm. you know, it was back in the day where it wasn't electronics. so she handed out these like books to everybody. And I was like, oh, we have to read this. <laughs> Are we gonna have a test? <laughs> and, um, but like just seeing that, I couldn't understand probably a third of it, maybe. Maybe that's as much as I understood. But anyway, so that's how that's how I got involved and then learned about what NIH was, started to learn about grants, started to learn about thinking about going to grad school and aligning with a mentor who had an active research program. So again, maybe it's funded by NIH, maybe funded somewhere else, maybe potentially not even funded, but they have a very active like set of scholarship and research questions and things that light them on fire and they can't discover enough about it. Yeah. And, like that was a light bulb for me yeah. to think about. Like Okay, so this is really a pursuit of ideas as well as skills and training. And, um, and you get to do that as a graduate student in a different way than as, than as an undergraduate.
1: That's really neat. You know, and so and when I think of themes here, you know, you had an early influence of, of somebody who, who was a storyteller, excited about what they were doing,
0: mm-hmm. right?
1: And, and the details of what does that all entail come later, but the, the excitement came early on in a classroom setting. You know, and then I'm struck again by the importance of, of mentors who let you see that they are more than, than Professor X, right? Her interest in music, you know, a multifaceted. I have interests beyond what really excites me in the classroom, what got you excited to begin with. I think these are pieces of this puzzle about how we sort of thrive in the academy, right? And sometimes we catch it again if we're early on in our career. We don't, you know, it's, it's later we reflect on these are some of the sort of elements of what I wanna be and and do as a mentor, right? So so you go on to get your PhD, Mm -hmm. and then what?
0: Yeah, so. Again I think you know my life has had crisscrossing strands so in graduate school I met who would become my husband dr. Montfred deal who is here at CSU and HDFS as a university distinguished professor studies adult development and aging and um, so we met in graduate school so I got my PhD and then it was the question of like how do you balance work and life and um, I my I defended my PhD a year before Monfred did. Um, and uh, he was an international student. We had all kinds of green card issues and visa issues to deal with, and weren't married at that time. But you know, thinking well, this life choice, we probably are going to make. So I took my first job at the University of Texas in Dallas. So did the very traditional thing of applying for um, tenure track positions. Had a couple of different offers. That ended up being the most, uh, the best fit for me and. We thought, oh, Dallas would be a great place and, you know, he, he might be able to find a position there. And uh, the context for us, though, was in the early 90s. The academic job market was horrible. Like it was really tough to get jobs. There weren't very many and there were a lot of students on the market. And so being a dual, like in the same uh, discipline indeed, yes. at the same yeah. time, an international student, um, we, it, and it just was really, really difficult to find a dual job. So he found a position at SUNY Albany and so i took a leave from uh, university of texas at dallas we got married and then decided we wanted to start a family so i resigned being um, a tenure-track professor Hmm. and took a position as postdoc which again i hadn't done a postdoc first um, but it gave me an opportunity to delve into some new research, working with a new team of folks, again, around a core set of interests that I had, but a different discipline, uh, a different way of thinking about it. Um, he was doing a postdoc as well, so we knew it wasn't going to be permanent. We left from there, went to the University of Michigan and Wayne State, so he, we did two more po- uh, another set of postdocs again because the job market was so terrible and um trying to find two positions so you know we'd apply and get a hit here or there but couldn't find anything that was drivably commutable and by then we had a had our oldest son and uh you know just wanted us to be a family so we made the decision to do another set of postdocs so he did a postdoc at wayne state i went to the university of michigan and we were there for um a couple of years and uh did um it did postdocs. so again, new set of uh, lenses, new thoughts. So it's like continuing this education is really great way. Um, and then, so we've been a lot of places. Um, <laughs> so he, uh, at that point, then um, got an offer from the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs. They hmm. were really building up their aging area, and um, thought his skills would be a great fit in his research. And so, and it was in Colorado, which I have to tell you, of any state maybe other than Oregon that I wanna live in, it's Colorado and uh, ever since, you know, learning about John Denver in seventh grade, I like Colorado's been high on my list, but anyway. (laughs) um, So like the opportunity to move to Colorado then was really appealing and uh, they had, you know, a a non tenure track position, but a way I could continue my uh, career at UCCS. So we were there for four years, it was really great. And then he got a recruitment call from the University of Florida, um, which this ended up being sort of a game changer for us, um, because up till that point, I uh, always thought I would be a professor and I would just really be content doing research, teaching classes. I loved it. Just, again, could not vision what beyond that would look like. And although I knew department heads and people that were in administration, I never th- like put myself in, th- in those shoes and thought, I never even tried them on. Like, what would that look like? Mm-hmm. I just was all about the work I was doing. So we went to Florida, and the position that was available to me was in the College of Medicine, in a department of pediatrics working in the Institute for Child Health Policy. i never been in a College of Medicine, never had been in um, that kind of a setting that was so high-paced, so the expectations were really, really high. It wasn't the um, more, mm, and I don't want to say that expectations aren't high in other disciplines, but uh, things just move at a quicker quicker pace and um, there's just a lot more uh, energy. And that was a very top performing uh, college of medicine and that institute was in just like going gangbusters and growing. So in a very short period of time, I had the opportunity to go from an assistant professor uh, to an associate professor and associate director of that institute. So um, in an area I knew absolutely nothing about. Wow. But because I'd had all these like crazy experiences along the way of... Thinking from interdis- I was trained in it, you know, psychology, then interdisciplinary human development, family studies, then, you know, at Texas was in a psychology program, but then, you know, in New York and Michigan, it w- the different focuses. So, had learned skills to think about research a little bit more broadly and a little bit more interdisciplinary. So, had to learn some new content, but like some of those basic skills transferred. But in the, in the position of being associate director, you get a real taste for what leadership could look like uh-huh. and what the joy you get from building and supporting other people. So it wasn't just your team anymore. It was like the health of the the institute. And it was 100% funded on soft money. Our salaries, even though we had tenure, <laughs> we had we always joke, well, we have jobs, but we don't have salaries guaranteed with those jobs because you had to go out and earn the money on grants and so on. Mm-hmm. So, um, it, you know, for a long time, a long haul, I don't know that I would have enjoyed a career with that amount of pressure sure. because that's really what you're on. You're on a, a treadmill to really, um, you know, produce grant funding at really, really high and growing levels. Um, and there wasn't much teaching involved in that, but it did give me really the taste for, I just, I, I love administration. I love watching other people thrive. I love the joy that comes from being part of of building the infrastructure that allows them to do that. I love the big picture visioning that you get to do when you can pull people together and help set a course. So all of those things, uh, just like, I I never knew that before Florida. So we were at Florida for six years, um, and got a taste for that. And then I remember one day I saw a flyer for a um, department head at Colorado State University and I brought the flyer home and I told Monfred, this is where we're going next. And he's like, "What?" And I'm like, I, "I know it. This is where we're going next." And he's like, he laughed and said, "Okay, if you want to play, that's fine." Um, went interviewed, came back, said, "This is where we're going next." And luckily, it worked out that we could we could come here. Grateful ever since.
1: Well, for those of us that are very fond of both of you and your leadership, it's a it's a big moment. Yes, yes, we're <laughs> glad. Great day in the history of the college for sure. We're glad you're here. Yeah, thank you. So you know, you're, you're a few years into your deanship, right? And of course, you know, they've been unusual years to, to put it mildly. I wonder if we could ask you to reflect on, on the time you've served as Dean, you know, so a little bit of retrospective piece here, but then look forward to us and You just talked about visioning. And and so cast some vision for us as, as a college, where are we headed? What do we aspire to?
0: Yeah. Um, So I will, again, put this in context. I, I, you know, of course, nobody saw COVID coming. We had Indeed. a whopping semester before it, where I was busy getting to meet people, learn about the other colleges, uh, you know, really step into the shoes of of the world of a dean. And then we, you know, hit shut down pretty quickly. Although I am, again, unbelievably grateful that we got our first research day under our belts before we had well to, well we said. had to shut down. <laughs> but um, maybe a month after we shut down, the Uh, Provost then, Rick Miranda, asked me, uh, Jan Nerger, the Dean from the College of Natural Sciences, and Ben Withers, Dean from the College of Liberal Arts, because we have the biggest uh, undergraduate enrolled colleges on campus, to be part of a committee with um, Kelly Long, our Vice Provost for Undergraduate Affairs, to figure out how to get our campus quickly offline, but then back. And What does that future look like? So had an opportunity I think you wouldn't get normally as a, uh, an incoming dean to really um, get involved in the nuts and bolts and just details of thousands of sections of courses, you know, thousands of students, thousands of instructors, and trying to fit together this incredibly intense jigsaw puzzle um, under very extraordinary circumstances. So uh, spent a good chunk of. I would say you know, from March until December, really immersed in that, that kind of uh, experience. And what I've learned from that, I think is gonna help us going forward as a college, just to understand a bit more of the landscape the different innovations different colleges are doing, how we responded to COVID, but even in the context of talking about COVID, people shared what they would do normally and what they were doing new, sure. right? So all great learning. So I'm excited about bringing some of those innovations back as we start to think about um, you know, our, our different majors in the college and our student success goals and uh, innovative curriculum, academic master planning uh, activities that we're doing right now as part of the courageous strategic transformation. So super excited about where our programs are going. Um, you know, I set out some goals when I started as Dean and and I'll just highlight a couple of these. I think in reflection, we've started to work on some of them and then in forecasting, I think these are our big, these are our big ticket items. Before I even say any of this, we have, you know, again, one of the greatest colleges. We're so diverse, but that's our strength. Like we all wrap around such interesting disciplines of human, Functioning and human well being, um, you know, from how we develop physically, how we think, you know, about mental and social supports, how we think about built environments, our education systems, our social services that we provide as a society, all of these things uh, like give us great opportunity to think creatively and outside the box. So, one of my biggest goals is um, to find the ways that these eight wonderful disciplines can come together at the next higher order of intellectual discovery uh, through curriculum through research uh, through structure maybe um, but that we find the places where our total is that much greater than the sum of our parts um, that really what we're doing and that's our impact so some things that have bubbled up so far are thinking about what are assets in design and build are there ways to put together those foundational components in in a, you know some sort of a structure that helps everybody's programs and um and research programs grow because of collaboration in that space another space might be mental and behavioral health we have a lot of activity across our college and actually across the university actually in both those spaces so not only can we build in our college but can we then connect across disciplines and colleges outside our college health is both a a single word but then this just incredibly huge concept and what's been interesting to me having been here you know for you know 15 years is having watched health in like become a bigger concept on campus you know a few years ago when deans were doing their you know here's our strategic plans the word health was in our college, it was in veterinary medicine, but you didn't necessarily hear it in liberal arts or business or whatever. And this the last time we all did our strategic plans, we all have health as a, a centering sure. concept. So again, looking for those places where there's like, it's, it's grassroots, it's organic, It's so you know it's a real commitment. Um, like where where do we intersect and, and how do we do that? So I think reflecting, but also forecasting and looking to the future is like, is thinking about that. How do we align in those really big questions? Education is another one. Like, how do we think about education, not just from public school sectors, but also here on campus? How do, What are our best strategies around that? How does what we're learning and discovering and doing research about, how does that really drive what we're teaching? And how do we think about, you know, serving students to the best possibility and maybe busting open some of our degree programs a little bit and thinking, what? What's the new innovation that we really wanna think about? I'll just give you one example, just maybe so it's concrete. So we train a lot of students in, in clinical areas in this college and on campus, uh-huh. right? So, um, And we train them usually in an accredi- accredited discipline. So the accreditation body says these are the skills you need to have, and so we train within those within the discipline. And then students graduate and they move into an interdisciplinary team-oriented uh, work environment, and we have not trained them that way. Right. So how do we do that? That's a great point. How do we think about that? So um, so that you know, is one example, and there are many across our college and across the university where I think if we step back, think, think outside the box a little bit, um, maybe a lot, I don't know, but get a little bit creative and think, well, okay, we've done it this way for a long time. How do we do this going forward?
1: You know, I've got a, a couple more questions, and, and if you'll permit me, one of them is off script, but I, I, I really, I'm I interested, and I suspect others will be interested as well. Your, your tenure here, you've been in leadership the whole time, a department head and now a dean, mm-hmm. and and I think there's a misapprehension by many of us, it would have been the case for me early career, that people in that position no longer need mentors, and I wonder if you could talk for a moment about people who have mentored you as a leader at CSU.
0: Yeah, I think that is such a misapprehension, right? And the type of mentorship changes, and sure. and for different questions, you go to different people. So I will say there are a couple of groups of people maybe that I would put in a mentorship category. I think every dean that I've worked with has been a mentor. Um, it's starting in Florida, uh, I you know didn't work very closely with the dean in my uh, job as assistant director, but also served on the faculty council mm-hmm. for the College of Medicine, was the vice president. So I had the opportunity to work at a different level uh, with that dean and learn things that he did well that I'm like, oh my gosh, these are great things I wanna take forward. Um, and there were things that like forced me to think, well, okay, that's not the leader I wanna be. Indeed. And, and that was mentorship too, Sure. Yeah. right? You know, the push to be, like to help define yourself and absolutely true of the three deans I worked under Uh, here in the college. Uh, So, and other deans, Uh, I, you know, have, again, when you're here for a while, you get to know people, you start to know other people outside your immediate surrounds. And so very grateful for other deans that, um, uh, long-term deans here at CSU that have taken some time to spend time with me and answer questions. So I would say that's one category, you know, folks above, you know, you learned something from the provost that sure. you work with yeah. and all of that. Another set of mentors, though, and this I valued so much, um, is the other unit heads in this mm. college, and it changed over time. So when I first came, one of the mentors for me was Dr. Chris Melby. He was the department head of Food Science and Human Nutrition. He was just always gracious and patient with, you know, he never made me feel like my questions were bad and always safe to ask them. Yep. And yes, there were Dr. other Dr. Melby for sure. Yes. Dr. Yeah, Melby absolutely. for sure. Uh, There was another unit head who, over time, became one of, you know, one of my closest colleagues, but at the first, he would push back. Uh, And um, Dr. Israel, he mentored me in a different way by honing, uh, you know, a little bit more of a tough skin, I would say, Uh Um, and just uh, being willing to, like— push back a little bit more and, you know, but then that morphed over time as I got more experience being a department head and new department heads came on and then you end up being a little bit more in the mentor role, sure. that's still mentorship to you because you're learning how you how you help other people develop skills, right? So there's yeah. some mentorship even though from a mentee right. that I think we never recognize or don't talk about and celebrate as much as we probably should. But um, then just getting together with the unit heads, I think what it was so lovely about here, and this has always been our culture, is that this is a team that works together. Mm-hmm. Yes. They're not at each other's throats. They're not like trying to get what's best for me is you know at the expense of you. It is truly like it's everything helps our college rise, and so they're so gracious with time, talent, sometimes even treasure, Mm -hmm. and helping each other be their best selves. And then that trickles down to our faculty, staff, and students, Um, and that culture is incredibly important to me. So again, reflecting, so grateful to be part of this college, and the burden and responsibility and great opportunity, and I take this very seriously, that that continues to grow in the next years.
1: You know, one of my favorite parts about being in the academy, it's, it's my only profession, I've never, you know, other than summer jobs or something, right, is, is this chance to both mentor and be mentored never really ends. No, No matter where you're at or what you're doing, it could be a one-on-one, it could be a larger group setting, you could be in the upper echelons of leadership, and there are still opportunities to learn and to turn around and, and to pour into others what's been sort of poured into you. That's really fun. I love that part of it. So a natural follow-on question, and this I'm back on script now. What's your favorite part about being in this college?
0: Favorite part about being in this college, whoa, and this is going to sound so trite, but I'm just going to say it summatively, like being in this college is my most favorite (laughs) part about being in this college. I can't think of another college that I would rather be in, Um, and I think there's several layers to that, so maybe I'll unpack that just a little bit. And I already touched on one of them, which is just the diversity of the the fields that we're in there. Like there's constantly great ideas and new, interesting things to think about because we're not doing a version, all of us, of the same basic exactly. thing, right? And all of our units come at the same problem with such different lenses, histories, experiences and thoughts that going forward is always going to be a new creation because it has to be with this many great mm-hmm. minds. Mm-hmm. So... That's one element that just never, like I've never been tired or like bored or um, I don't even know what the word is. I've always been inspired by uh, just the the, the breadth of disciplines and and thought in the college. So that's one level. The other um, thing that I, I just, our college does so incredibly well is living the land grant mission. So again, you know, I told you earlier in this, uh, in this conversation that I didn't understand when I went to school, what a, a land grant was, I went to Penn state, another major land grant. I didn't know it was a land grant. I just went there. Cause I liked the program. Um, you know, was at Florida. That was a land grant. I didn't even know they were land grant until I got to Colorado state. And somebody told me that that was the Florida land grant. Cause I thought it was Florida uh, state, not university of Florida. Mm-hmm. I couldn't tell you why university of Florida was the land grant until I got to Colorado state and started to like really Learn what it means to think about access, what it means to think about um, the connection between community and the academy and how we work together to solve problems, how we don't think about the smart people doing outreach, but it's really engagement and that we're doing this all in the service of making life better for people in this college. I know other colleges focus on animals and, you know, the climate and the world and so on, but like we all have the same basic DNA of just being excited and passionate about what a land grant is. So the fact that we do it so well around people in this college, in this university that does it so well as a university, I can't think of a better place to be.
1: And you anticipated my final question and beautifully tied together who who we are as a college and how do we fit into this land grant mission. And So I won't ask that question because it was so elegantly stated there. So as we think about wrapping up, I just wonder if you have any final thoughts you'd like to share with the college and our listeners.
0: You know, I think for me, uh, you think about this a lot, like uh, motivations for going to work every day and what gets us moving, not just for me, but for our students, for our faculty. And I hope that as dean, I can Do whatever I need to do to help those days be so meaningful for everybody that we are providing the best curriculum for our students so that they come to CSU and just like are lit on fire in that same 10 minute thing like this is this is what i want to do and if they're not that we help them find what it is that that lights them on fire that we are so committed to our students and their educational journey and we're likewise so committed to each other as faculty and staff we're here because we have students but we're also here because ideas light us up too Mm -hmm. so how do we support that how do we grow our research mission what can i do to help support that i was waiting for the question you might ask me to tell me about your research and my research is the college's research, and I'm excited about that. So um, so the words that, that are important to me, the vision that's important to me, is that we are intentional about what we do. We're always thoughtful, creative, innovative, that we're respectful to each other and engaging of each other and supportive of each other, that we are a college. With multiple different subunits in it and disciplines that help us be the College of Health and Human Science, at the end of the day, we're all after the same mission and all working together. And then we do that with integrity, excitement, with excellence, um, with support and enthusiasm. So if I can help, and then I guess at the end of the day, if we do that with gratitude for the opportunity to do it, then we've had a good day.
1: So well said. So in a spirit of gratitude, I'll say thank you as one who gets the privilege of working with you and enjoys your leadership and, and the privilege of being mentored by you. Th- thanks for your leadership. Thanks for your friendship. Uh, and thanks for the, the way you go about setting a vision and leading by example. We appreciate it.
0: Oh, and thank you. And thank you, Avery. Of course. Pleasure to work with both of you. and so excited about this podcast. So my own personal plug is listen to the upcoming ones. You get to hear firsthand the greatness in this college. And that's our show. Thank you for tuning in to Health and Human Science Matters. If you want to learn more about our CSU College of Health and Human Sciences, go to
1: chhs.colostate.edu. Here, here.